Hey, we are, we are in our third week of this series um, that um, is simply called Call of Duty. And I, I named it Call of Duty because um, it, it actually has a connotation of, of, of warrior and fighting and stuff. But, um, but really, it's because it's our calling and our duty uh, to fight spiritual warfare. And as believers, whether you, whether you believe in spiritual warfare or not, it is coming against you. And so God has called us uh, to, um, to fight the good fight. God has called us and, 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 and to persevere and it is our duty to do so. So today's message is going to be centered um, around something that I think is going to be um, that, that's huge in uh, the life of every person uh, on the planet and how the enemy fights, um, fights us. But many Christians believe that there's either no spiritual warfare or they take it from a defensive standpoint. So I, it's amazing how many believers I talk to that think, well, you know, spiritual warfare, it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of a Bible thing, you know? Yeah, and it doesn't really happen nowadays. You can't really see it. There's no, no really evidence of it. Well, I think there's a, a huge amount of evidence for that. And some people believe that, well, I'll just fight it when it, when it, you know, when it comes here. I'll just kind of be more defensive. I personally believe that we need to be more on the offensive of spiritual warfare. We need to, we need to, take, we need to charge what spiritual warfare could become in our direction rather than waiting for it to land in our lap. We need to be very, very, very vigilant, and we need to be able to be ready to fight that fight and to go forward. And so as we, uh, as we move forward in this series, I want you to not wait for the attack to happen. We need to go at it now from an offensive standpoint. In our first week, we talked about the invisible uh, world that exists, the invisible war that does exist. We have a foe that is formidable. He, he, um, he is someone who causes fear, apprehension, and dread. And uh, we also, uh, this, um, this enemy fights us to the point to where we feel like we have to fight for victory, but as I shared in week one, we've got to fight from a position from victory because the victory has already been won on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus has already won the victory. And so we've got to stand in the position of, of the victor as we fight and don't fight for victory, not as a defensive but an offensive. You know, the weapon may be formed but it will not prosper. Bible talks about that. The weapon will be formed, oh, believe me, yes, but it will not prosper. Week two, last week, we talked about sleeping with the enemy, how the enemy infiltrates marriages and, and relationships, and how we talked about Adam and Eve and, and how Satan used that marriage and that first situation um, that God had, had put together in the garden and how he attacks them, how he attacked them in the same way he attacks us. Satan attacks us when we feel alone. He turns commandments into questions, and, and he twists up the truths behind God's boundaries to make you feel more like the victim. So he will take God's boundaries in your life, and he will twist that in a way that you feel like you're a victim, that we feel like it's not fair. That's exactly what happened to Eve. Then Satan proclaims lies and then, um, uh, to make you feel even more like a victim. We eventually believe those lies, and we start fantasizing what can happen. That's what Eve did. She started fantasizing what can happen, imagining she stayed there at the tree, you have that conversation. She should have walked away, resist the devil. But she stayed there imagining. And the longer we 
uh, the longer Satan has our attention, then the longer we, have, uh, we get to fantasize certain situations. You probably have had that happen in your life, in your mind, where you fantasize, you role play certain things. I know it's happened in my life as well because we linger. We linger and allow the enemy to keep talking to us. But those fantasies eventually will turn into actions of our deepest desires. Then often we cover up our sin when we get caught. We cover it up. That's what Adam and Eve did. They cover up their sin, their sin and then they actually blame one another. And we will eventually kind of blame others, even our spouse. So uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to that series because I think it was important, no, to that message, because I think it's important to understand how the enemy attacks our marriages. So today I'm gonna talk about how the devil will attack you on a personal level with the goal of stealing your identity. Today's sermon is entitled, Identity theft. Identity theft is actually a, a, a problem in our world today. Identity theft occurs when a person gains access to your personal information and misuses or attempts to misuse it for their own gain. This may include making purchases on your credit card. I mean, I, I actually know people who had their, um, who, who, uh, had their identity stolen from them. So if, if people can claim they are you and they have just the right identifying uh, numbers to back it up, they can do lots of damage. So Satan, when it comes to identity, Satan actually has lost his true identity, his first identity of who he was. Satan had a certain identity in heaven, and now he's trying to steal your identity. I really feel like this is one of the biggest ways that Satan, we're going to walk through this, Satan um, just uh, tries to defeat you. Satan is a smooth identity thief. We see how Satan lost his identity from who he was created to be to who he is now. The, um, the Bible says Satan was an angel. He was a major angel, one, one of the big the big major angels, you've got Michael, you've got Gabriel, you have Lucifer. And so Satan, as the Bible tells us, was created as a beautiful being and with, with lots of abilities and, and talents. And so, but we see a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 28. This is in our main passage of Scripture, but I encourage you, if you want to turn to there, Ezekiel chapter 28 uh, it's a prophecy given to the king of Tyre. Now, it's easy to see when we read this, he's talking to the king of Tyre, but really, Ezekiel is talking to Satan. He's talking to Lucifer. It's really, it, it's similar to when Jesus um, uh, told, uh, told Peter, said, get behind me, Satan. He looked right at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking to, to Peter. He was looking at him, but he was talking to Satan. He was talking to the one who was behind what Peter was saying. And so this is a very similar situation. And so Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11 through 16. So in this we see a little bit about Satan. It says this, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. So this right here is a letter to King Tyre but 
he's really talking to Satan. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. See, King Tyre wouldn't even in Eden. He wasn't even born there. He's talking to Satan. The garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, uh, turquoise, and beryl. Your setting and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I adore, I adorned you. you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created, till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Now, Ezekiel is writing that, but it's coming from the Lord. It's coming from God to Satan, to Lucifer. Even though Ezekiel is writing the words and it's a letter to the king of Tyre, it's really prophetic. It's, it's really to, a, um, to Lucifer. So Lucifer or Satan was created with so much beauty, majestic abilities. He was a worship leader in heaven as, as evidenced by the musical elements that God put in his being. But Satan wanted some of that glory for himself. And we can even see how he had fallen. So another prophet, Isaiah, totally different prophet in the book of Isaiah. Uh, we're gonna be in Isaiah chapter 14. So Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. This is Isaiah again, and it's talking from God to Lucifer. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned to the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you were brought down to the realms of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So, Satan wanted a little bit of that glory. He was there leading praises to God, and one day he's like, nah, I want some of that. And he was trying to ascend higher than God. Pride. It's gotten away. Many people think that Adam and Eve were the first people that sinned. It was really Lucifer. It was really Satan, the author of sin. And Satan, because he lost his original purpose and identity, he's, he's nothing like he was created to be. He doesn't, he doesn't have his original purpose. He lost his identity. Because he lost his identity, now he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your identity. He doesn't want you to become the person God intended for your life because he knows that God's plan combined with your obedience is a dangerous combination for the powers of darkness. God's plan for your life, God's purpose for your life, and your obedience is a dangerous combination for the kingdom of darkness, and Satan knows that. So how do we know that he wants to, uh, that he wants to take away our, our identity or even confuse our identity? He tried it with Jesus. We see this in Luke chapter four, 
verses 1 through 13. This is my main passage of Scripture. You turn to there, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And so uh, setting this up, Jesus had uh, just been baptized, and um, he is, uh, he's been baptized by John the Baptist, and then he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, and he fasts for 40 days. Now, this is all before the start of his ministry. So up until this point, he has, he has not done any, any of his works, any of his ministry. So he, um, he goes to the wilderness, and he is tempted, the Bible says, for 40 days. And so we see a little bit of this conversation, and we're going to extract some of the ways that Satan worked with Jesus, tempted Jesus, and how it can also happen in your life, and I believe it does happen in our lives. So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, it says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he, for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up, um, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan knows scripture. He's actually using scripture here. So Satan even knows scripture. He's trying to use it. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So how does Satan steal our identity? He does it by tempting us in three specific ways, as we see here in this conversation with with, uh, Jesus. In this encounter with Jesus, we see three specific instances where Lucifer tempts Jesus or attempts to tempt him and lure him into sinning, and he could do the same way with us. And so in verse 3, Jesus could have, we talked about the miracles, Jesus could have easily performed this miracle and turned the stone to bread to satisfy his hunger. But did you notice Satan, how he started the, the, the temptations? If you are the son of God, then, if you are the son of God, then, do this. Satan tempted Jesus to prove his worth by through some sort of miracle performance. He wanted Jesus, hey, if you really are the son of God, prove it, okay? If, that's, if you're worthy to be the son of God, then you can do these things. You could, you could do this miracle. And so, Satan does the same thing with us. In your life, you're asked to prove your worth many different ways, through school, sports teams, work, ball field. Satan will speak those if-then statements to you all the time. If you are this, 
then you can do this. And so the problem is when you underperform, then you begin to question your worth and your value of who you are. Because oftentimes, we can't meet those standards. And so when we underperform, we question our value and our worth, which are tied to our identity. He would say things like, if you're a Christian, then you're going to read your Bible every day. You try to read your Bible, read your Bible, you miss a day, you miss a day, read your Bible, you miss a day, two days, three days. And so you, you feel like, well, maybe I'm not really a Christian because I don't want to read the Bible, or maybe I'm not a Christian because I'm not really disciplined for that. And so that seeks into your, your identity of who you are. Or what if he says this in your head? You know, if you really are, are, are salesmen, if you really want to be a good salesman, then you will have all of these numbers, you will have all of these clients, you will do so much uh, volume uh, a week or a month, and you will have this standard. If you really are, if you're really called to do this job, then you will do this. And, and so that comes from the enemy because he sets that up to a performance. So the, the enemy will tempt us through performance. By performing something. He, that's how he did with Jesus. If you really are God's son, turn these stones to bread. You're hungry? Come on. He will do the same thing with you as he does with me. And definitely with me. If you're a pastor, then you will do these things. <laughs> yeah, I never fight that fight, right? Of course I do. When we fall short, we don't feel much like the person that we should be. Why? Because Satan has put that in our, in our minds. Like we are tempted to perform. But it's interesting. Jesus knew his identity was not in his miracles. Jesus knew his identity was not in his miracles. You know why? How do we know that? Because his father told him at the time of his baptism before he started this wilderness of 40 days, we see in Luke, one chapter before, in Luke 3, 21 through 22, it says this, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus came and was baptized too. And while he was praying, the sky opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him. The Spirit looked like a real dove. Then a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son, the one I love. I am very pleased with you. You are the son, the one I love. I am very pleased with you. Before Jesus performed any miracle, before any sermon, before anything that Jesus did, what did God say? You are my son. I am very pleased with you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus didn't place his identity in the miracles or the sermons. That's not his identity. Now, Satan knew that he could do it. Even though he hadn't performed any miracles, Satan knew that. You could, stone, you could turn these stones of bread. You're hungry. But Jesus didn't fall for that. He didn't fall for that performance temptation because he knew his identity was in his father and what his father thought about him. It wasn't in his miracles. It wasn't in his teaching. It didn't matter what Jesus did because God was already pleased with him. And you know what? It doesn't matter how you perform because God is already pleased with you. 
Don't let the enemy lure you into some sort of temptation of a performance. It's a trap. If you are this, then. If there are if-then statements going in your head, that's the enemy talking. Guarantee. If, then. And you need to take that thought captive and don't let that run anywhere else in your mind and travel to your heart. So Satan tempts us through performance, as we saw in verse 3. Satan tempts us with possession and power. We, and uh, we see this in verse uh, 5 through 8. The devil held him up to a high place and showed him an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want if you will worship me. So Satan tempted Jesus with, with possessions and power. Jesus could have it all. All he had to do was yield his heart to Satan. We are all tempted with this. We think life will be so much better, happier, easier if we could just get more money, more possessions, a higher position. So we work harder and stay longer at work to earn more and climb the ladder of success. It's just a trap. It's a trap of possession and power. When we do this, we are literally worshiping the prince of this world when we fall into this temptation. When Satan said, I'll give this to you if you, just, if, you, if you bow down and worship me. When you and I fall into that trap of wanting to gain a certain position, wanting to gain more, uh, you know, more money, more possessions, and greed steps in, and what we are doing is when we work harder for that, then we are literally bowing down to Satan's wishes and his schemes for our life. It doesn't, life doesn't have to be made up of positions and power. The problem is when we fall into this temptation, we begin to lose our identity. We don't have time or the energy to even know who we are because we're chasing after all of these things. So the enemy puts things before us and tempt us and entice us to want more things, possessions, and power. But let me tell you something. You are not your own. For those who are bought, for those who are bought with the blood of Christ, for those who have surrendered their life to Christ and follow him, and those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Your identity is in Christ. It's not based upon what you have or the position that you have. Now, there's nothing wrong with being successful. God does want us to be successful, to climb the ladder a little bit, but just don't knock down doors. and Don't raise ladders by themselves. Allow those to come to your door. God will provide them for you. Seek the Lord's will and pray. And watch and see what he does. He will provide for you. He will meet your needs for you. All you have to do is just trust in him. Now, it may not be on our timetable, but he will do that. Just that, this uh, past week, we had a church member uh, share um, this past week that he, his company told him, hey, we, we need to buckle down on the, on the vaccine, and so... Uh, we, need, we need you to get the vaccine or we're, we need to terminate you. 
And so um, and he's, he just believes, you know, where he is that, you know, I don't really need to get the vaccine. I really don't want to do that. And so um, the very same day, later that day, he got a phone call from a different company. Said, hey, um, we want you to come work for us. And our company's like going crazy. And I, I know what you could do. And I think we, what you do with this other company, you could bring to us. It's a different division. We want you to start this division and, of the company, and you can run it. And he said, do I have to get the vaccine? He said, no, we got like 12 people in our company. It's good. It's crazy. God will provide. Now, sometimes God will provide immediately. Sometimes he'll provide later. It's God's timing. It's his timetable. But when, rather than fretting about it, this particular church member was like, you know, I just trusted in God. I just believed God would provide, and he does. And so we don't need to uh, worry about trying to climb that ladder or, or, or uh, you know, trying to get more possessions. We just need to trust in the Lord. Don't go knocking down doors or raising ladders. Allow that to come to you because I believe it will as you pray and as you seek the Lord, and he will provide a way out. So the devil tempts us by performance, by possession and power. And the third thing he, he tempts us with, is with pride, with pride. And we see this in, um, starting in verse 9 of this uh, Luke chapter 4. In verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. And he quotes scripture. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So he's basically telling Jesus, look, you, you, can, you can jump from this highest point. And I, was, I did a little bit of research up to the, from the highest point of the temple to the lower level down below. It was almost like 15 stories. And so he's, he's up there and he's like, just, just jump. Because guess what? We know that, that God is going is to save you. We know he's going to immediately send angels to catch you. You know that, Jesus. So what Satan was doing, he was tempting him with pride to say, you're the son of God. You could do this. So he tempted Jesus to pre, pre, uh, prematurely reveal himself as the son of God, forcing God to send angels on him. He is tempting Jesus with pride by showing that God can do this. So Satan's temptation is for you to gain your acceptance, appreciation, and significance from others instead of God and his word. If you're looking to gain your significance through prideful in prideful ways with the acceptance and appreciation and significance of others, then you're falling for a trap from the enemy. This is a trick and a lie of the enemy for the purpose of stealing your identity and crippling you from knowing who you are in Christ. Because what you're gonna do is <laughs> you're, gonna put your, you're gonna put your worth and, and, and what you believe and who you are, your identity in others. Others you may have uh, given in to um, peer pressure because you long for acceptance and want to be popular and be recognized, which can lead to saying things and doing things in harmful ways to people. 
You begin by comparing yourself to others, which leads to people connection uh, rather than God connected. So when, when you try to approach things where you want the approval of others, you're focusing on people being connected or being pleasing to people rather than being pleasing to God. And it's so easy. That's an easy trap for you and I to fall into. Jesus is the anchor. When, you, when your identity is in Christ, your worth, value, and significance are most revealed when we bring all the glory to God. When you bring all that glory to God. So your worth is not based, your identity is not based in your performance. Your, your worth and your identity is not based on your possessions and, and, and power, what kind of job you have, and what circles you, you're in. It's not based on who you're trying to please. It's not based on your pride. Your worth is based on other things. I've got a video, a real quick video I want to share with you. It's, uh, it's uh, from the um, Avengers movies series. So this is... Uh, this is brawling at the Avengers compound. Thanos, let me set this up. Thanos is whipping up on Thor, and you're going to see this, about to kill him with his own axe. Arriving in the nick of time is, is Captain America, wielding Thor's old hammer, um, which can only be lifted by one found worthy. So let's look at this clip, and I'll explain further. <laughs> I love that line from Thor. I knew it. I knew it. I knew you could raise a hammer because only a person who's worthy can lift that hammer. Now, obviously, that's a Hollywood version of that, but can I tell you something? You can live a life of a, of a believer who's striving within the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are worthy. You are worthy worthy. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what kind of poor performance you think you, ha you have done. It doesn't matter uh, if, if your circles of friends just pull away from you. It doesn't matter. Your worth is not in your friends, your performance. It's not in your possessions, your position. Your worth is in Christ, period. We see this in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. Instead of you worrying about being, uh, instead of you worrying about uh, having possessions identify who you are, you are a possession of Christ. 
God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are worthy, a holy people, a royal priesthood, a nation. You are worthy if you have accepted Christ as Savior. Don't allow the enemy to tempt you with these other things because that's going to seep right into the identity of who you are and it's going to rip you out of where you're supposed to be and the person God created you to be and then you're like just going through life confused. There's a lot of people in this life who are confused about their identity. Oh, I can, we can all list a whole lots of ways that the enemy has confused people with their identity. So I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, do not allow the enemy to do this. So you say, well, Frank, what? So what do I do? How do I, how do I stop this? You know, the, the great thing about this passage in Luke 4 is that we see how the enemy has tempted Jesus. And just so you know this, Jesus knows exactly what you're going through because he's been tempted. And so we see how Jesus was tempted, but we also see how Jesus responded, and we can respond in the very simple little ways. Number, uh, and it's all about resisting the devil. It's all about resisting the devil. And the first part, we gotta be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit when he was tempted. Okay, the Bible says that. Verse, verse one, and the filling of the Spirit will not um, insulate you from temptation, but if you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You can read about that in Galatians chapter five. You will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It, it, it doesn't say that you will not have such temptations, but rather you will not fulfill them if you are filled with the Spirit. How do we get filled with the Spirit? Praying, reading God's word, being around other believers, confessing your sin, uh, getting rid of uh, pride, getting rid of anger, getting rid of unforgiveness, bitterness, all of these things. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit, asking the Lord, fill me up. Now, when you are saved, when you're a believer, the Holy Spirit comes inside you, yes, and, and, and makes his home with you. But being filled with the Spirit that's, a, that's, an, that's another thing. That's, a, that's a, the Holy Spirit just taking over who you are. So I want to encourage you. Ask the Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me to overflowing. And that, that's how Jesus went. He went filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. The second thing we can do is be armed with Scripture. And all three temptations, Jesus chose his Father's will over the temptation to pursue an easier path. But notice that he has no extraordinary physical weapons in his temptation. Jesus didn't use any special powers. He didn't do that. I mean, he could have defeated Satan right then and there. But he did not use any kind of special abilities. You know what he used? This. <laughs> he used the very same weapon that you and I have. Very same thing, okay? He didn't need Thor's hammer, right? He just needed the word of God. And guess what? That's what you and I have. And evidently, that's enough, right? 
Just use the word of God. You got, you got some temptations in your life the devil's putting in your head about performance, possessions, positions, other people in your life, pride. You got that coming in your mind, then, then open up God's word. Seek those scriptures that combat against that and allow the scripture to do the fighting for you. That's what Jesus did. So be, how do we resist the devil? Be filled with the spirit. Armed with scripture, and the last thing we see that Jesus did, be ready for further attacks. Jesus' victory over Satan was not final, <laughs> and neither is yours. Trust me, Satan, as we read in the Gospels, Satan had many attacks on Jesus, especially in the Garden <clears throat> of Gethsemane. The, um, you can win a victory today, but the enemy will wait and return another day especially when you're most vulnerable. Constant vigilance is required. We can relax our guard only when we are face-to-face -face with Jesus. He has overcome the enemy, and if we depend on him, we can resist the temptation. So we need to be ready for further attacks. We need to be constantly be filled with the Spirit. We need to be constantly uh, in the Word, in prayer, so that way we're ready for what can happen next because let me tell you satan will not give up he will keep fighting day after day after day and it starts right here and he takes away your identity why does he want to do that because he lost his identity he lost his identity so he wants to take yours god created you with a certain identity and as a christian you must base your identity upon who God really is and who God says you really are. So stop looking to other things for your identity. Stop falling to the temptation that Satan and those thoughts he's putting in your head. Because guess what? It's going to lead to you questioning your value, your worth, which is all tied to who you are, your identity. Your identity is in Christ, in Christ alone. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please, at this moment. For those who are watching online, I'm gonna give you this opportunity. Maybe you are someone that you just, you, you're having troubles with this. Maybe you're having troubles with, with Satan coming in and having these thoughts. And you just need to, you just need to uh, use these, these weapons that Jesus shows us, the word filling with the Holy Spirit, and if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. But, but I want to encourage you, ask for more of that. Ask for more of the word. And let God show you that. And, and spend time in prayer. And, and God, God will fill you and he will show you how to use these weapons. For those who are, who are watching online here today, if you've never accepted Christ as Savior, and you don't have that Holy Spirit in your, inside you, that ability, and you're, and you're tired of, of your identity being confused, and you just don't really know who you are. Well, Jesus wants to save you. And Jesus wants to, wants to come inside your life, be Lord of your life, and you can have your identity in him. If that is you, if you want to say a prayer, you pray something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I confess my sin to you. 
please come into my life. Please be Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.